in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. I'll give you a sec just to find it if you're looking it up. Alrighty. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I, will set only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Thank you, uh, Lauren, for reading for us this morning. And so I'm just going to pray, continue in prayer as we move into our message this morning. So Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the story of this Canaanite woman's encounter with Jesus. Um, and Father, we thank you that it's been recorded down in your word that we might learn from it. And not just learn from it in terms of head knowledge, Lord. This morning we want to be transformed in our heart. Father, we want to see what she saw when she looked at Jesus. And so I pray that by your spirit, you make this word alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so we're up to uh, part four now of our Face to Face with God series. Uh, and so, uh, as Dan said, I'm going to be away for a few weeks. And so I'm preaching here this morning. Uh, another chance to preach tonight at the Hive Church um, in Sydney, which we're developing relationship with. Um, and then uh, I've got a four-week break um, of not preaching, so I'll be all revved up uh, in four weeks' time, so um, look out. No. Um, <clears throat> but so uh, looking forward though, to hearing the, the, the podcast, which if you've missed some of these, you can hear the podcast, but I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast of Kitch and then Steve uh, finishing off this series. And so what this series has been about and will be about for the next two weeks is exploring face-to-face encounters with Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. Uh, and, and so um, there, there's lots that tells us about who God is throughout the Bible um, and especially throughout the New Testament as we zero in on Jesus. Um, but these face-to-face encounters tell us something really intimate about what God is really like. Um, and so we've been quoting a few verses and so this week I'm just going to quote uh, this one, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, which says, The Son, that's Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Uh, And so what that means, and and a number of other verses we've been touching on throughout this series, is when you look at Jesus, you see God. And not just a glimmer of God, a shadow of God, a a kind of likeness. We're, we're, We're told in the Bible that we're made in the likeness of God. But when we see Jesus, we don't just see the likeness of God, we see the exact representation of His being. And so when we're exploring these face-to-face encounters with Jesus, we're exploring people who come face-to-face with God. We're exploring what they see when they see Jesus, because when we see what they see, when they see Jesus, we see what God really looks like. And so we've been journeying throughout a number of different encounters with Jesus. 
Uh, and so the scene for this story uh, is set, uh, and we're jumping forward, we've been around chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Matthew, now we're jumping forward to chapter 15. And, and so the scene for this passage is set in verse 21, where it says, Jesus withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. He, he got away, he escaped. So Matthew 15, 21 says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so Jesus had left Jewish territory. He had gone out of the, the Jewish controlled region, the region where Judaism or Yahwehism, the belief in the one true God, uh, that is you know, God the Father, whatever of the many names he has that we put to him, left that place where he was worshipped into pagan territory. And not just any pagan territory, Tyre and Sidon had become proverbial or metaphorically the essence of what it meant to be pagan. It was, it was the catch-all, the catch-all phrase. If, if, if the Old Testament prophets were talking about the kind of the, the sins of the pagans, they would talk about you know, being like Tyre and Sidon. And so it was the metaphorical epicenter, the heartland of pagan worship. And so we, we, we probably should ask the question, what's the Jewish Messiah doing there? What is he doing there? Is he on retreat? Is he getting away from the crowds that followed him? If we're going to answer this question, we first actually need to look back a little bit before we look forward. Uh, this story tells us why he was there. It was about this encounter with this woman that his disciples that were with him might see in him what she saw, that we might see in him what she saw as well, because it's recorded in God's word. But, but part of the reason for him being there, we need to look backwards. So in Matthew chapter 15, at the start of it, we find Jesus speaking with some Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, this is why Jesus is in Galilee, still Jewish territory, but outside of Jerusalem. They asked, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And so the Pharisees raised this apparently shocking accusation against Jesus' disciples. Now, this isn't just about hygiene. This isn't that they were patting the dog in the backyard and they should probably wash their hands before they eat because, you know, who knows what the dog's been into. This, this is about religious ceremony. This is about uh, focusing on the minutia, the, the little tiny parts of, of religious practice of what it meant to be clean and to share table fellowship. And so Jesus' disciples and, and Jesus himself, by implication, wasn't living up to the standard of a really religious Jew. And so Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to fulfill, not to honor his father with it, thus nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, and this is what Isaiah said about people like the Pharisees. That these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And so Jesus has had this encounter with, 
with the Pharisees who were concerned more about human rules or human interpretations of God's law. The, the, the focus was on washing hands, on, on straining out gnats elsewhere, Jesus says, that they'd strain uh, out gnats from their water so that they wouldn't eat an unclean insect accidentally. But Jesus said, but it's like washing the outside of a cup. You're not actually doing anything with what's inside. Their hearts are far from them. And so the Pharisees were more focused on minor religious details. We can see Jesus building frustration with those who are meant to be most eyes wide open, most attuned to seeing the truth that God himself is standing right in front of them but they're more worried about hand-washing. And so Jesus' frustration builds and, and the, the next part of uh, Matthew chapter 15 is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples about what true cleanliness of the heart before God really looks like. But so we see after this that Jesus withdraws from Tyre and Sidon. And, and, and whether Jesus knew particularly that he was going to encounter this woman or not, I believe that Part of the reason he is there is that he would have this encounter, that we would get this stark contrast between the Pharisees, the, those who poured over the Old Testament scriptures, those who should have known, should have seen more clearly who Jesus was than anyone else. He, he goes outside of Jewish territory so that we see this contrast between those who should see but are blind and those who should be blind but see. He goes to pagan territory so that we could find someone with real faith. And so in that territory, we find another outsider who sees what the insiders don't see. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about a Roman centurion, a Gentile, the enemies of the Jews who who saw in Jesus what the Jews, even those who weren't the Pharisees, those who believed in Jesus' power to heal, we saw an outsider who saw what the insiders, God's own people, didn't yet see that Jesus wasn't just a magician, a, a healer through max, acts of magic, but that he was God who could heal by just speaking a word. And so in this story, this encounter with Jesus, we see another outsider who sees what the insiders don't see. We're told in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, a Canaanite woman from the, that vicinity, the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, came to him. In the original Greek, it's, uh, we, we use this word when we're talking about the leper that encountered Jesus. It's, behold, a Canaanite woman. This is shocking that such a person would come to a Jewish rabbi. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll know that there was a, an episode where uh, Jesus' disciples had gone into town to, to try and get some food and Jesus had stayed out of town near a well and, and, and uh, a woman had come and he began a conversation with this woman. And so the, Jews, the Jewish followers of Jesus, these disciples, were shocked to see Jesus in conversation with a woman. Because in that culture, not rightfully, wrongfully, women were not respected and and they were not seen as someone fit or worthy to have a conversation with with such an esteemed teacher but this isn't just a woman this is a canaanite woman the the ancient enemies of israel the occupants of the promised land that god had promised to israel the the thorn in israel's side the the pagan uh 
anti-God people that God was sweeping away so that Israel might come in. This woman represents even more so than the Roman centurion, an outsider of outsiders of outsiders. She is more outside of God's chosen people in the eyes of these Jewish people than anyone could have been. Yet she sees what the Pharisees didn't. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this term, son of David, means so much more than just Jesus is genetically descended from King David. Thousands of people or more could have claimed that lineage, especially if you see how many wives and children um, David had. This term, son of David, meant that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised saviour of Israel. And so while the, the, the Jewish religious leaders are squabbling over religious minutiae around trivial things of hand-washing and human laws and, and that blinds them to see who's really in front of them, this woman, this outsider of outsiders, looks at Jesus and she says, Lord, Son of David, Messiah, Saviour, have mercy on me. See, she's completely outside of the religious establishment of, of Judaism. She's not concerned about the minutiae of religious practice, about trivial rules and trivial interpretations of, of what the law meant. She sees Jesus and she says, Son of David, Messiah, Saviour, have mercy on me. She sees who Jesus really is when those on the inside could not. She's another outsider who sees what the insiders don't see. The Pharisees saw a threat, a transgressor of proper religious practices, she saw a saviour. And so what she sees in Jesus raises the question for us, what do we see? When we look at Jesus, what do we see? When we think about Jesus, when we think about the church, when we think about Christian faith, what are we most concerned with? What are you most concerned with? Are you most concerned with getting it right, with the, with the minutiae of religious practice, with uh, ticking boxes, with making sure all your ducks are in a religious row, so to speak? Or are you more concerned with what she saw? That in Jesus, the Son of David, the Messiah, the Lord, the Saviour, God Himself is present for us by the Spirit now in us. So it's so easy for us in the church, those who are this generation of insiders, in a sense, that, that we're, we're part of the, not the term I would like to use uh, for us, I would like, rather talk about us as a church family, but, but in essence we're part of the religious establishment. And so it's easy for us to become more focused on the things of religious establishment to become like the Pharisees and be concerned about trivial things, that, that blindness to who Jesus really is. And so what do we see? What do you see when you look at Jesus? When you think about your faith, what's most important to you? 
She's another outsider who sees what the insiders don't. But she's also a woman ahead of her time. She's a woman ahead of her time. Jesus' response is jarring. It says Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're saying, send her away without her request answered. That that's kind of sounds stronger in English. It might seem, might be more, right. deal with this issue so that this constant crying out will stop. But Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. She's persistent. She presses in. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This doesn't sound like Jesus. In all of the encounters that we've had with Jesus so far, both Jewish and non-Jewish, lepers who were the outcasts of society, Jesus has compassion on them. It's jarring. It doesn't sound like Jesus. But Jesus speaks the truth. His mission was to the Jewish people. His mission was to be the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people, the fulfillment of God's ancient promises to his chosen people. That was his mission. And though the Old Testament... And though Jesus' own words spoke of a time where, where the, the salvation through Jesus would burst forth from the boundaries of Israel and, and even as far back to the promise to Abraham that, that his seed would be a light to all nations, not just to those who came from him. Though that's the, the flow of scripture, though that's the, the tangent of prophecy to all people, Jesus was called firstly and foremostly in his earthly ministry to the lost sheep of Israel. Not that there were some lost within Israel, but that Israel was lost. So Jesus had healed Gentiles, but he'd healed them in Jewish territory. It was still part of his Israel-shaped ministry. And, and so this is a step beyond that. This is an outsider of outsiders, a Canaanite woman in pagan territory saying, Come and heal my daughter. Jesus was sent first to the Gentiles. This was a not yet moment for this woman. She was a woman ahead of her time. And Jesus spoke about this dynamic in parables. In, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 10, we get a, a bit of an illustration of this, this ages, this kind of season of ministry that Jesus was involved in during his earthly um, his time on earth. In Matthew 22, uh, chapter, uh, verse 1, Jesus, it says that Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom is like the father preparing a celebration for his son. That's Jesus. And the invitations go out to his servants. That's Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that's been promised to Israel. And the Father says, come and celebrate. 
But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like Israel rejecting the invitation. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. The prophecy's fulfilled in essence. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army out and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I'll finish that there. There's more to that story. And so Jesus is saying that he's come to fulfill this prophecy. He's come to invite Israel to the wedding banquet to be reconnected with their God. And that has to be first offered to Israel. He says the time is coming. And we see the inbreaking of that even in Jesus' earthly ministry. But through the story of the early church, we see that very rapid shift from the Jews coming to faith and then rejecting it. Not all Jews. This is not about a group, an ethnic group of people in that sense some accept Jesus some reject him and then the gospel explodes to the Gentiles we see it in Paul's own ministry that when he though he was called to be the missionary the God's spokesperson to the Gentiles when he went to a new territory the first place he went was to the synagogue to call the Jews to faith in Jesus And once he was rejected at the synagogue, which happened unanimously, eventually some Jewish people believed and came with him, he would go to the Gentiles. And so Jesus is essentially saying to this woman, it's not your time. I'm called to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus says it's not right to take the bread that's meant for the children and toss it to the dogs. It's hard for us in English not to uh, hear this as a racial slur. But that's not what Jesus uh, is intending in his original words. And it's also not consistent with the heart of Jesus. Jesus is essentially saying it's not right for those who are on the inside who are part of God's own family to have the bread snatched away from them so that the dogs might eat first. This is about standing in the household of God. This is not about uh, a kind of a, a group of one ethnicity being called dogs, as we might, uh, hopefully not we, but as contemporarily we might call people a bunch of dogs today. So essentially, she's coming to Jesus and asking as someone not worthy to eat from the table, not part of God's people, not part of Israel, a dog from outside the household coming to the table and seeking to snatch away the children's bread. And so Jesus says it's not right that that should happen. Should the children reject the bread, then perhaps then that's the time. And so this woman's a woman ahead of her time. She's asking for what is not yet hers. 
But she's not perturbed, she's not discouraged, she presses in further and she says, even crumbs from the table are enough. And so she sees what the insiders don't see, she sees that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour of Israel, that He is God Himself. But she also sees what, what the, um, the insiders don't see in seeing that even crumbs of the kingdom of heaven are enough. Even the crumbs that drop from the table are enough. So Jesus says it's not right to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. If you've got the um, older translation of the NIV, it's more an argument with Jesus, but that's not consistent with the original Greek. She's actually agreeing with Jesus. She's saying, that's right, Jesus, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So she realizes, she sees that the kingdom cannot, in fact, be contained. That with Jesus, the the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has broken into this world in a way that though Jesus was called to the nation of Israel, that cannot contain it, that crumbs fall from the table. She saw what the insiders didn't see in that the Jewish Messiah was not just the saviour of the Jews, but the only hope of all people. She saw that mere crumbs for the table would be enough to completely transform her life and that of her daughters. She, through her faith, sees what is not yet hers and through her faith sees it become hers there and then. And so this is another outsider who sees what the insiders don't, but, but it's also another example of what we spoke about last week, that, that God longs to respond to faith. That Jesus withdraws from these Pharisees. He gets out of Jewish territory. And I believe partly from just frustration. That they're focused on tiny little details that aren't important rather than, than the deep heart matters of faith. And then in this pagan territory finds someone of great faith. Jesus responds, woman. In, in the original Greek, it's, oh, woman. It's a, it's a, there's the ho in Greek, which is a word that kind of points to great and deep emotion. Jesus is moved inwardly by this woman's faith. He says, woman, you have great faith. It's like Jesus saying, yes, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to see. Not these Pharisees that are concerned with nonsense. I want to see people like you. A woman of great faith. He says, daughter. Notice now he's not putting her in the category of of the dogs. Through her faith. This outsider of outsiders has become an insider of insiders. Jesus speaks over her daughter. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Sorry, I mixed that up. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus speaks over her acceptance. 
and her daughter was healed. She's welcomed in through her faith. A woman. We might think woman is a term of distance for Jesus, but it's the same word he uses of his mother in John. Woman. It's a term of love and embrace. She's welcomed in. And so Jesus heals her daughter that very hour. It seems interesting that it's the Gentiles who get their children healed at a distance, get their servants healed at a distance. It's the Gentiles that see that this isn't about Jesus having to touch the person. It's about who he is and he is God and he can do anything just by his word. She saw what the Pharisees were too blind to see. And so I believe that this is why Jesus has come to Tyre and Sidon. He's come outside of the religious establishment. He's gotten away from the insiders so that we might see through the eyes of an outsider. That we might see Jesus with fresh eyes. But the thing is for us is that we aren't outsiders. Though we're Gentiles, though uh, most of us here, I'm unaware of any Jewish people who are part of our church, but um, that's cool if you are. But we, we are in the category of this Canaanite woman. We are the dogs, we are the ones not worthy to sit at the table of the kingdom of heaven. We are not God's chosen people, Israel. But we have been invited in to a seat at the table in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, this is the latest translation of the NIV where, where sons is usually uh, translated as children to be gender inclusive, but they've pre- preserved the word sonship there for a very important reason because the original word used there in the Greek points to a son with full rights as an heir. Because in that culture, in that day, 2,000 years ago, who inherited? The sons. And so... They've retained that word because Paul is not just saying here in his letter to the Romans that you've kind of just been welcomed into kind of you're allowed inside the house now, you're allowed to eat at the table, but but you kind of got low-ranking status. He's saying you've been adopted to the highest possible status in the father's household. You are a son with full rights of inheritance but also to a place of intimacy. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We, we are brought alongside Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son, and are co-heirs with Him. Through Jesus sacrifice for us that we've celebrated this morning through communion. We're we're brought into God's household as co-heirs with Jesus. 
if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory, that, that in this age, sharing in the suffering of Jesus, being persecuted for his name might be part of our existence. But, but what I want us to see is that though we are Gentiles through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through the work of the Spirit in our life, we are no longer outsiders, we've been invited to a seat at the table. We are heirs of the kingdom through our faith. Just as this woman, through faith, was brought in from outside, we are brought in through our faith in Jesus. We have a seat at the table of the kingdom. We've been adopted as sons with full rights, as heirs, full access. And so we're not living off crumbs. What this Canaanite woman saw was, though she wasn't in her age entitled to a seat at the table, all it took was a crumb from the table of God, just a a tiny morsel of the kingdom and her life and her daughter's life was transformed, she was healed. But, But for us, the reality is we're not living off crumbs of the kingdom. We've got full access to all that is of God's kingdom. We await its full realization when Jesus returns but here and now we don't live in the age that this Canaanite woman lived in we live in the age in which the gospel has broken forth that this woman foresaw that we live in now the gospel has transgressed the borders of Israel has blown beyond it has invited in those who are outside of Israel to a seat at the table she saw that age to come we live in that age. We are now the insiders. And so the question for us, the challenge for us, the, the challenge for us who, as, a, as I say, we're the religious establishment, to re-ask that question is, what do we see when we look at Jesus? Do we see what the Pharisees saw now that we are the insiders? Now that we've been welcomed in, have we strayed into thinking the way the Pharisees thought? Have we strayed into being blinded to the reality of who Jesus is, to the reality of what's available for us now that we're on the inside, now that we've been privileged to be called children of God? When you compare the Pharisees with this woman, it's jarring. In their presence was the Almighty God and they were concerned about hand washing. But this woman said she could see the enormity, the power, the awesomeness of what the kingdom meant that she could say, just a crumb, Jesus. Just a crumb. Just a crumb. And so we blinded to the enormity of who Jesus is, of what He's accomplished for us, the, the power that is within us through the Spirit, to, to spread the gospel, to see the kingdom come here and now? Are we blinded to that or do we see what this trailblazing woman of faith saw before her time? Do we see that just a crumb of the kingdom is enough to transform our lives, to transform the lives of our families, to transform the lives of our church, to transform our town and our nation? Do we see that just A crumb of the kingdom is enough to do more than we could possibly ask or imagine to reflect on last week. Just a crumb is enough, but but we have access to it all. 
we've been as we celebrated through Jesus' sacrifice, we are invited to the table. The fullness of the kingdom lives within us and works through us by the power of the Spirit. The challenge of this passage is to see not through the eyes of the Pharisees, not through the eyes of religious establishment, but to see through the eyes of a woman who was despised by the religious establishment but saw Jesus in a way that few others did. The challenge for us this morning is to see Jesus through the eyes of this woman of great faith. And so we're going to worship in song and we're going to sing a, a song that reflects on who we are and who God is. But I pray and I'm going to pray before we start singing that, that as we sing these words that we would be set ablaze in our faith and our belief and our sight for what is really at work in us and through us when we say that we have the kingdom of God. I'm going to pray that we would see that just a crumb is more than enough to completely transform everything we know to the glory of God. And so, Father, we thank you again for Jesus. We thank you again for this Canaanite woman who had every reason to stay away but could not both because of her heart for a daughter, but because of what she saw when she looked at Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that when we look at Jesus, when we think about our faith in Him, that I pray that our eyes would be opened by your Holy Spirit to see what she saw. I pray where there is things in our life that blind our vision like the Pharisees and I confess that we all have things that get in the way of seeing Jesus clearly. We all have religious tidbits or non-religious tidbits, things that get in the way. I pray that all of those things would be swept away. Whether there are things of this world or things of religious establishment, I pray that you would sweep them away, Holy Spirit. And that we would see Jesus clearly. And that through him we would see this world and know that just a crumb is enough. Just a crumb is enough to bring revival to our church, to our lives, to Yas, to our nation, to our world. Just a crumb is enough. I pray that we would see that and know that, Father. And Father, I pray that we would know that we have full access at your table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Yas Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.